I just uh, just lost the mic here. If I don't get it back in here just right, you won't have a sermon. Don't say amen uh, to that. Because you see, what I do is I have the sermon taped in here, and all I do is lip sync it. Uh, okay, now, we had sound troubles in the earlier service. Uh, we're having some sound difficulties. Is it okay? Can you hear me? Whether you want to or not, can you hear me? One fellow in the back one time said, said, can you hear me back there? fellow back there said, no, we can't hear you. And the guy down front said, let me change seats with you. <laughs> so, uh, so I had to preach a sermon the first service without the uh, benefit of a uh, microphone, which is okay for somebody who's been an evangelist for a while. I've had, had trouble with this lung here for a good while now, but this other one is doing very well. <laughs> and so we can always go into overdrive. Uh, Martha... Martha and I, a number of years ago, were in Hawaii on a vacation. We were walking down the street. Oh, let me back up. How many of you remember Carl Malden? Does that name ring a bell with all of you? Uh, don't leave home without it. You remember that? He was American Express Traveler's Check. Don't leave home without it. Well, he, in fact, Carl Malden worshipped in our service uh, one Sunday many years ago. And, and um, I met him, nose and all, great big guy, wonderful fellow. Uh, but we were in Hawaii, and those commercials were pretty prevalent at that time. We were walking down the street, and we heard two women screaming and crying, and people started running to them and find out what happened. We rushed up there to see what was going on, and there were two women uh, and a man, all of them 60-plus years of age. Uh, I think the man was the, the uh, husband of one of the women, maybe the, and the other was the sister. Anyway, the three of them, the two women were just in hysterics and crying. Someone had snatched her purse, and there was a construction site there. The person had snatched the purse, jumped over the fence, and had gone through the construction site. No way we were ever going to follow the person and find them and catch them. And they were just, they were just crushed and upset and frightened as you would be by such a horrible experience as that. We raced up there, and the wo- a woman was just crying and saying, Oh, Everything I had was in my purse. She said, all of our traveler's checks were in my purse. And Martha, in her wonderful, compassionate, solicitous word way, was leaning over and patting her. She said, our traveler's checks and everything were in that purse. Martha said, were they American Express? <laughs> the lady said, yes. Yeah. Martha said, you'll get them back. You'll get them back. I left the scene. I just walked away. I I didn't want those poor people to see me laughing because it was not not a funny moment. I looked around for Carl Malden and the TV cameras, I mean. Oh, boy, well, that would be a frightening experience. This morning, for a few moments, I want to talk about a woman who left home with a lot less than traveler's checks. Like she left home without any friends, without any hope, little or no respect, self-respect. She 
Jesus ran into her on purpose. You, you may be here today and you feel like you've lost more than a traveler's check. You get those back. And you feel like you've lost hope or self-respect or peace or forgiveness or meaning or future. story's too long to tell you all of it, but I want to touch on two or three high spots in the fourth chapter of John, which is where it occurred. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there. This woman was a Samaritan woman. Now, you have to remember that if you are a Samaritan, you are detested by the Jews, called half-breed dogs, so detested that Jews would not even travel through your country. They would take a detour around it, adding about three or four days to their trip just to avoid even walking in Samaria. They were held in terrible contempt. Not only was she a Samaritan, which was bad enough, but she was a woman. Jewish rabbis we're taught to pray every morning, thank God that you were not born a woman. Now, if you're looking for a person who's on the bottom of the social ladder, you will find that in a Samaritan woman. Not only that, but she was a Samaritan woman who had been married five times and was now living with a man who was not her husband. So you add up five divorces, now living with a man that was not her husband, a Samaritan, and a woman, you've got an eight-time loser. You've got somebody that is in the bottom of the social pit. And the scripture says in the fourth verse, and he, Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. Other translation says, and Jesus must pass through Samaria. Now, why did he have to do that? Why did he have to do that? Did he have to do it because he was in a hurry? No, you never find Jesus in a hurry. He did it because he was going there to meet that woman. I believe meeting that woman had been in the plan and the providence of God from before the foundation of the world. It said Jesus must go to Samaria. It is interesting to think about the number of must, M-U-S-T-S, the number of must in Jesus' life. When he was a 12-year-old boy and they'd gone back toward their home and they'd left him there in Jerusalem, not knowing they'd left him in Jerusalem, and they got on their way back to Nazareth and they found that Jesus wasn't with them. And Mary and Joseph went back and you remember they found Jesus 12 years old in the temple and he was talking with all of the religious leaders and they said, where have you been? What are you doing? And he said, 
Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? From 12 years of age, he knew he had a calling from God, a commission from God, an anointing from God. I must be about my father's business. Later on in his ministry, he said to his disciples, therefore he said to us, we, talking to the disciples, therefore talking to us, his present-day followers and disciples, Jesus said, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night comes when no man can work. We must do it. There are some things that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are incorporated into his plan, and there are some things that you and I, whether we feel like it or not, whether it's convenient or not, whether it is easy or not, there are some things that God's people must do. We must be about my father's business, Jesus said. On another occasion, he said to his disciples, I must go to Jerusalem. Well, they said, no, you're not going to do that. You're signing your own death warrant by going. He said, I must do that. That is my calling. That's my commitment. I must do it. Notice Jesus not swayed by feelings, not swayed by emotions, not swayed even by the protestations of his friends. I must go to Jerusalem. He also said, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Referring to his crucifixion. The Son of Man must die so that the world might be saved. The Son of Man must be lifted up. Notice the, old, the New Testament. Some of the early church leaders caught that same spirit. Listen to Paul saying, I must preach the gospel to them that are in Rome also. I must do it. Now, my friends, there are some things that Trinity Baptist Church must do, and if we don't do them, they'll not be done in this city. Those 279 students who went to camp, I said to them in the early service this morning, I said, you are the future of this church, and you're under this same divine compulsion that we are. There are some things that we must do, and you must do. You're the future of this church. Christianity is always just one generation away from extinction. The must in Jesus' life and the must in our lives if we're to be faithful followers of him. That same divine commitment must characterize our living, not lackadaisical, casual, do it if you feel like it. Fair weather Christians, we must do it. We must. Must go, Jesus said, to Samaria. Why did he have to go there? Because he went there to meet that woman. When he got there, he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar, and Jacob's well was there. Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting at the well. It was about the sixth hour, but Roman time, that would be about 6 p.m. The disciples went into town to get some food. They asked Jesus to go along. He said, no, you'll go. He had an appointment. She didn't know it yet, but God incarnate was sitting there on that well waiting to talk 
system is poor, desolate, friendless, Samaritan woman. Why did she come at 6 p.m.? All the other women would go early in the morning. Get the water early for cooking, for cleaning. Why did she go late? I believe she went late because she got tired of the whispers. She got tired of the sideward glances. She got tired of the snickers going around the crowd. <laughs> you know, have you heard? I don't believe it's any accident that you're here today. Maybe the first time you've been in the church in years and years and years. That happens often here. But I don't believe that it's an accident that we're here today, any of us. I believe every one of us are here today to have a fresh encounter with Jesus who's come to take a seat at your well. And you may be feeling so low that you have to reach up to touch bottom. You may feel friendless, rejected. You may feel that you're a moral failure. You may feel that you don't count. But let me tell you that Jesus Christ came all the way from the Father's house to meet you today here in this place as surely as he went to meet that woman at the well in Samaria. And he's got some good words for you. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Boy, it startled her. It startled her because she said, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink of water for me, a, a, a Samaritan woman? Because Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She was stunned by this Jewish man speaking to her. Uh, let, let me tell you briefly about this, this woman's five divorces. It may not have been because she went to court and divorced her husband, because women couldn't do that. Women had no rights, no education, couldn't vote. A group of Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L, -L -L, a rabbi, Jews, said and taught that you could divorce your wife over any occasion. You could just say, you're out of here. You're gone. You could divorce. A man could divorce his wife if she burned a meal. She could be divorced if she spoke to a man in public, which is one reason this woman may have recoiled. She may have done that before, and her husband said, you're out of here. Okay, if a woman, if a woman gets kicked out like that, where does she go? There's no uh, community property. There's no job she can go get. She can't get a job. She can't be a secretary. She can't go to school. Suppose her parents are dead. Where does she go? She goes to the street. I believe that's where the term streetwalker comes from. 
Nowhere to go but the street. Nothing to sell but your body. Which is one reason I believe Jesus was so compassionate toward women. Been kicked out by a culture that made it easy. Easy. No fault. Divorce. They had it in the New Testament days. Pray to God we don't have it in our day. But you're, you're, you're talking to me. You're a Jew. Jesus, I believe he had a constant expression of compassion on his face. And, and let, let me insert a word here about Jesus sitting down there. To, well, I know not only do I think he sat down there because he wanted to meet that Samaritan woman, but because he got tired. John is the gospel that, that so magnificently affirms the deity of Christ, the transcendence of Christ. John begins his gospel with that marvelous prologue. In the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. John affirms over and over and over and over the divinity of Jesus. But watch him here. Give us a touch of Jesus' humanity. The Son of God got tired. He had all of the same emotions and feelings that you and I have except willful sin. And there's some of you in this room that are tired. There's some of you in this room that are working at two or three jobs. There's some single parents having a terrible time financially. Trying to raise children alone on an inadequate income. In many instances, no child support. You're tired. Jesus understands you're being tired. Some of you men here, it's a miracle that you're here this morning. Considering the pressures you're under, tension that you're under, God bless you for being here. I, and I know a lot of you came tired. But Jesus understands what it is to be fatigued. And he sits right there with you. And he was thirsty. And so may you be thirsty. For some fresh hope. Fresh dreams. Fresh future. Well, you're talking to somebody this morning who understands that. And who's been right where you are and felt right what felt what you feel and is sharing what you're experiencing right now. Some of you mothers here, husbands and wives both working, trying to take care of children, you're tired. Can't help but be. Jesus understands you. 
And he doesn't blame you for being tired and thirsty. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink of water, you would have asked him, referring to himself, of course. And he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. You don't have a bucket and a rope, and the well's deep. I've been to the well at Sychar. It is deep. Still there. You see it. Visible. There may be some of you here today who say, <laughs> the problems I've got are so deep that even God can't reach them. Even God can't get down to where my problems are, way down deep inside. The well is so deep. And, and, and Jesus is the person for the church-going crowd and the religious crowd and the upstanding crowd and the intellectual crowd. And the affluent crowd. And I'm in a hole. Covered up. My well is so deep, I'm in the bottom of it, and you don't have a bucket or a rope. Listen, my dear friend. Listen to the Word of God. He says, My arm is not shortened that it cannot save, nor my ear heavy, that it cannot hear. I can hear your cry and I can reach down. There is no one so far down in a pit, no one so low, no one so discouraged, no one so lonely, but that I'll reach down and I will become in him or her a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I'll not pull you up from above. I'll bring you up from below with new water, new life springing up perpetually in your spirit. Wow! She said, Sir, you don't have anything to draw with. Jesus said, Listen, everyone who drinks of the water that I give will never thirst again. Never thirst again. But I will become within him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, this is so, this is so tender. The woman said to him, Sir, will you give me this water? She said, I'll never have to come here again. Now, a fascinating thing happens. Jesus said, um, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, boy, I love her for her honesty. She didn't try to put on any religious airs. She didn't try to put on any pretense. She didn't try to be something she wasn't. She was just honest. I mean, when you get in the pit as deep as hers, 
when you're a Samaritan woman divorced five times, you, you know, what have you got to lose? Woman says, sir, I have no husband. I believe Jesus said, he did say, I know that. I know that. I know you've had five husbands. And I know the man you're living with right now is not your husband. And it startled her, and so she decided to try to change the subject. So she wanted to talk about theology for a moment. She wanted to talk about worship. So she said, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And I believe Jesus started smiling at her. He just had compassion written all over him. He said, listen, dear, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, I want to point out something here that I need to be reminded of, and maybe you do, and maybe the church, not just this church, but all of us in God's Word need to be reminded of. Have you noticed that Jesus didn't talk to this woman about her moral problems? He didn't come down on her. He didn't blame her. He didn't condemn her. He didn't criticize her. He helped her. What are we here for? If not to help one another. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why do we feel like God sent us into the world to condemn it? Jesus said, worship in spirit and in truth. And listen to her. The woman said, well, I know the Messiah is coming. He was called to Christ, you know. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Now I want you to see this. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Jesus said to her, now, now notice what she has just said. The woman said, we know the Messiah is coming. And he's going to tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you and he. Now the important thing about this, the significant thing about this, the eternally significant thing about this is that this is the first announcement Jesus made of his messiahship 
the first person that Jesus said outright, straight away, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God, I am the Redeemer of the world, I am the fulfillment of all prophecy. The first person to whom Jesus said that were not the religious leaders in Jerusalem or even to his own disciples, but to a broken-hearted, five-time divorced woman sitting by a hot well in Samaria. You think Jesus doesn't reach down to the lowest to pick us up? I who speak to you am he. For the woman left her water pot, ran into the city. There's a whole sermon there on forgetting that water pot. Boy, there are just some things that don't make any difference when you finally found the truth. Just leave it behind for you. She forgot the water pot, ran into the city, and said to the men, probably the only people she could talk to, said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. He didn't hear that. She just suddenly felt that all that stuff and all that garbage and all that gathering combination of confusion that had accumulated in her heart and in her mind in the light of the presence of this man just came bubbling out and the water of life overflowed and it just flowed out there. She said, he told me everything. He didn't tell her anything except that he was the Messiah and that he'd come to save and to give eternal life and to be a spring of water in her rising up to eternal life. Say, come, come meet this person who told me everything that I have ever done. Is not this the Christ? And the whole city went out. And the whole city went out and met Jesus and, and invited him to come into town. And it says everybody in town became a Christian. And they say later on in the story here that it wasn't, they said to her, it's not just because of what you said to us, but we've seen for ourselves now what he is and what he has done. The whole city believed. The whole city of Samaritans believed. They kicked Jesus out of his hometown. He went to Nazareth. They tried to kill him. He went to a bunch of half-breed outcast Samaritans and they invited him to come in and stay for two days. That's who the church is supposed to be reaching out to to the neglected, to the hurting, to the down, to the discouraged, to the lonely, to the broken, the brokenhearted, the disillusioned, the disappointed. That's who we're here to reach out to and minister to. He has told me everything. No, he just told me that I could have new life and new water springing up inside of me and I would never thirst again. Now, I need to close, but I want to point out one quick thing. I want you to notice the progression in the woman's language. She starts out addressing Jesus as a Jew. How is it that you, ninth verse, that you being a Jew, ask for a drink of water from me, a Samaritan? And Jesus responded to her. Then she said, Sir, she moved from Jew to Sir. Uh, he, she'd had a lot of dealings with Jews, no doubt. But suddenly she met a Jew that was a gentleman. Sir, respectful term. And then again in the 15th verse, and the woman said to him, Sir, give me a drink of this water. 
And then in the 19th verse, after he had mentioned to her about her husband, she said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Uh, you can see things other people don't see. You can perceive things other people don't perceive. You're a prophet. Jew, sir, prophet. Come and see a man who told me all the things that I've done. This is Christ. I don't know where you are in that progression. Maybe you think of Jesus just as a Jewish teacher, carpenter. Maybe you think he had some respectful teaching, did some good things. Maybe you even think he's the greatest teacher that ever lived, prophet, prophet. One more step, and the water will begin to flow. You are the Christ. And he'll wash away all of your sins, all of your fear, all of your guilt, all of your frustration. And he will begin to make all things new. So, he's sitting at your well right now. What do you say? Will you trust him? Will you acknowledge him? Will you believe him? Will you follow him? Will you tell other people about him? Will you join his church? Will you help others tell others the story? Will you? Many people came to the early service professions of faith, joining the church, others, recommitment. Whatever God says to you that you're well right now, let me urge you to respond to him because it's not Buckner's invitation. All I want you to do is what the man sitting on your well wants you to do. And I encourage you to do it. I'll be right here to preach you. Let's stand and sing. Thank you.